answers to questions from the mailbag, trivial triathlon trivia, and regional event coverage. It's Try Small Talk today on Try Talk. Welcome to Tri Talk, your podcast source for triathlon tips, training news, and more. My goal at Tri Talk is to help you swim, bike, and run faster to meet your personal triathlon goals. Whether you are an elite or amateur triathlete, we cover sprint distance to Ironman distance. I'm your host, David Warden, and this is Tri Talk, episode 79. You're looking for a classic, no nonsense, scientific, objective Tri Talk episode. This is not the show for you. Today, we digress into what I call Tri Small Talk, starting off with an informal QA based on Tri Talk listener questions, moving to some trivia, and concluding with a preview of regional events, specifically the pre race information around the Icebreaker Triathlon on March 29th. It is a rare, unscripted Tri Talk presentation he says as he reads from his script, but it's mostly unscripted today. Joining me for this experiment is Aaron Shammy. He's the race director for the uh, regional events put on by Racetry. Racetry puts on about six regional events a year. Aaron's a good friend of mine. We've known each other for many, many years. I've done several of his races. Uh, I also need to give some athletic credentials uh, for Aaron because he's not just the brains behind Racetry. He's also got some significant athletic accomplishments. He is the former X Games world champion in speed rock climbing. Aaron, welcome to the program. Hey, nobody wants to hear about the rock climbing. Let's get down to the try small talk. I'm excited for this. Thanks for having me on that. the show. I don't know, world champion in anything. If you were the world world champion macrame, I would be impressed. I would I would I would have to say that on the show. Later on in the program, after some trivia, we'll be previewing the icebreaker, what you need to know for the event, and maybe some predictions as well. You and I can go over. Yeah, right? sounds sounds exciting. Okay. Well, let's go ahead, Aaron. I'm going to start off with some questions for the athletes. We'll start off today with uh, some information that could be useful to everybody out there. Um, these questions come from a combination of your participants in the upcoming icebreaker event, and also some questions from our Tri Talk listeners. If you'd like to have a question answered on Tri Talk, you can send a note to David at Tri dash talk.com that's david at try dash talk.com um, i should disclose that for the most part i was able to see almost all these questions in advance so if it sounds like i'm answering them extremely well it's because i have been thinking about them for several hours now although i think you have some i haven't seen yet that so is we'll, correct yeah okay. i had some come in a little bit later and all right we'll, we'll throw so i've given you, you a set of about five or six you've got a set of, of five or six but let's go ahead and spend a few minutes on uh, some questions from our mutual fan base Okay, here we go. Uh, Paul from Blackfoot, Idaho writes, I just don't understand how to taper for a race. Are there a few simple rules that can be applied? Thank you, Paul. I, I Actually, I picked this one, Paul, because I've spent a lot of time in the last month going over the same question because I, um, I felt like I have a lot of hit and miss with my athletes and taper, that there's there's been some that I feel like I have just nailed and they come in and they have had performances that are two, three, five percent better than we ever saw in training. And sometimes they're just flat uh, or even worse than we've seen in training. And so I can't 
seem to have the consistent magic number behind that. So for the last month, I've spent uh, some time researching that. And there's actually a great chapter in uh, the uh, book Triathlon Science. I think uh, Stephen McGregor has a chapter in there on tapering. And he cites a study that took 168 studies on tapering. And so it's a meta study. It's a lot of studies on tapering, condensed it down to what he considered or the the researchers considered the top 27 that really showed the most statistically significant results. And what I found most interesting with that is that regardless of the event duration, any endurance event duration, the peak taper time seemed to be two weeks. Now, I'd always been taught if you go with classic Tudor Bampa or Joe Friel that you, you lengthen the taper based on the distance, so you have more time to recover from fatigue, right? So you'd have a longer taper for an Ironman than you would for an Olympic. You'd also lengthen the taper based on the athlete's fitness. The more fit the athlete was, you'd have a longer a longer taper. Th- this particular study seems to say it, it actually doesn't matter, that two weeks seems to be the sweet spot. There's something physiologically about two weeks that makes a sprint distance athlete, Olympic distance, or an Ironman athlete all have the best results from a two-week taper. So, so Paul, to answer your first question, I would do a two-week taper no matter what you're doing. At this point, I think that's the most logical way to form a taper now is two weeks regardless of your fitness level or regardless of the distance. Um, I would have the uh, the taper be somewhat structured based on your strengths and weaknesses uh, within that two weeks. So you might have, if, if the run is your weakness, you might taper a little bit less on the run. and uh, Or if the swim's your weakness, you might not hardly taper at all for the swim because the recovery time is so big. But the other thing about this study is it showed that the best reduction in that two weeks is 60% in week one and then another 60% in week two. So for example, if you had a peak week two weeks before your half Ironman event or Ironman event of 16 hours, you would reduce that by 60% down to about 11 hours for that first week of the taper. And then the next week you go down to about six hours for the second week of the taper. So that's 60%. If you were doing a 12 hour peak and that was your biggest volume before an Olympic, let's say, you'd go down by 60%, which is gonna be eight or nine hours week one, and then another 60%, five hours or so in in week two. So that 60% number and the two week number, combine those together seems to be the magic number in this meta study on the best way to taper. And I'll be trying it out on myself and my athletes this year. So that's my new philosophy on, on tapering, Paul. It's Paul, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, okay. it's from Paul. So David, I'm hearing, so I'm a new triathlete. Let's say I'm a new triathlete. I stumble onto this tri-talk thing and I am not uh, understanding all this, these percentages and even the word taper you're throwing at me. I think I know what taper is because, hey, I ran track in high school. So, uh, but now I'm doing triathlon. I'm doing my first sprint distance and I hear two weeks, I start to slow down my, my workouts. I do less and less. What does that look like for me as a newbie, as someone doing a short distance race where maybe I'm not getting into the percentages as much. Very good. So a a taper for definition, a taper is a specific and planned reduction in volume. Um, so you are, you are doing less and less work in order to be more rested for the event. So fitness, gaining fitness is a, is a constant progress of adding stress, then rest, stress, then rest. And by that, that repetitive stress and rest, you gain fitness because your body adapts. The taper is when you say, look, I've gained as much fitness as I can prior to this event. On this date, I can't really gain any more fitness in time for this event, right? You can always gain more fitness, but if you have an event coming up, at some point you can't gain any more fitness. You can just hope to maintain what you have and then get rid of the fatigue. And what do you recommend as far as uh, rest days go right before the race? Do I rest? Do do I want to be on the bike every day up to the race, run a little bit, or do I take a full two or three rest days and that way I've got 
everything yeah. healed up, ready to go. The, one of the principles of training is the, called the principle of uh, frequency, and that would still apply during the taper. So it's still important that your, your workouts are frequent. The volume of the workouts is going to go down during the taper, but you still want to keep the same frequency you kept in training. If you were biking three, four days a week during your regular training, you'd bike three to four days a week during your taper. If you were running three days a week, you'd run three days a week during your taper. So the frequency doesn't change. In fact, the intensity doesn't even change. You wouldn't want to, ch if anything, you would increase the intensity slightly during the taper. The only thing that really changes is the overall volume. I'm sorry, volume. that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> so I increase the intensity. That's right. During the taper, you would not, you would at least not change the intensity. And for half and full Ironman, I would actually increase the intensity. Because so, so what exactly am I tapering then? Am I tapering the time I spend? The, the hours, the, the volume. Hours. That's right. So when I talk about volume, volume is a combination of the, uh, the, the, is a combination of frequency and duration. So if I do three times a week for one hour, that's three hours. That equals volume, right? That's my total volume. So the taper is a specific reduction in volume, which is total hours, we would say. Um, so if you were doing 16 hours, your, your first week taper would be 60% less down to 11. Next week would be 60% plus down to six hours. So there's your, there's your, uh, there's my answer. I, I hope so. I love it. Okay. I love, let's, let's get our taper on. Well, listen, <laughs> you've got sure. a lot of smart guys out there because they're the ones that are listening to you all over the world. If you are a frequent listener of you got to be a smart guy to understand these big words, but, uh, taper is two oh. syllables. <laughs> taper. Yeah. What? Two? Yeah. Oh, tipper. Or a tapir is also a, a mammal. I think in Africa, we could talk about and that. And also a shoal, a shoal. It is. I have no idea I'm making stuff up right, All right now. Let's move on to the next question. Sherry from Bridgeton, Missouri asks, I'm really struggling in hot events. I just don't perform even close to what I'm doing in training. What can I do this year to be more resilient in the heat? All right, Sherry, I'm going to make this one a lot quicker than the last answer. Um, but uh, fortunately, there is uh, action that you can take to make the heat less of an impact on your performance. So heat acclimation is a very real thing. The body does acclimate you know, to heat. So you're saying if you know you're gonna be competing in hot events, train in Essentially, hot circumstances. that's right. And heat acclimation, not only for athletes, but heat acclimation works for anyone. If you're a construction worker and you moved to Arizona and you gotta work in the heat, for the first couple of weeks you're dying, but after a while your body adapts. So it's not just athletes, it's almost anybody can, can adapt to the heat. Now I've heard of guys that do that ultra marathon, that bad water 130 or whatever right. it is, and they train in the summer with hoodies on is, is this what you're talking about That's here? That's exactly it, yeah. The, the, uh, the more that you train in a hot environment, there are a whole bunch of adaptations that, the, that takes place in the body. You're, uh, you sweat more effectively, you sweat earlier, you sweat better in, in more exposed locations. Electrolyte content is more diluted, so you're losing less electrolytes when you sweat. Those are some of the changes that, that take place when you acclimate to the heat. So for a triathlete or for a runner who's looking to do something where they know they're gonna be in the heat, the challenge is finding the balance between if you train too much in the heat, yes, you're gaining heat acclimation, that's good, but you're also not doing a quality workout, right? I mean, they're, yeah. they're, you, you yeah. could be sacrificing fitness that day. So you know, doing a two to three hour hot run Great for, for heat acclimation, maybe not so great for endurance or, or for gaining speed, right? Um, so the, uh, the research is pretty clear that you really only need about an hour a day for 10 days. If you do an hour a day for 10 days, there are huge changes. An hour a day of specific heat training for 10 days. If you do it longer, 
no problem. You could do it an hour a day for two weeks, maybe an hour a day for three weeks, but you don't need more than an hour a day. More than an hour a day is kind of, is, is too much. So maybe for a, a triathlete who's, who's doing a half Ironman and you're going to be doing a, a three-hour bike ride, you could do, you could time the ride, for example, maybe the first two hours are done when it's cooler and the last hour when it's warmer. You could do the first hour with a whole bunch of extra clothing on, like, like you mentioned, and then shed that for the next two hours. Mm. What that does yeah. is it gives you the heat acclimation benefit without ruining your workout at the same time where you're just slogging along because you're so hot. Same thing with running. You could time it where you're, you're downstairs in your, in your basement on the treadmill, no fan, totally dressed, you know, to the, in really warm clothing for an hour. Then you go outside and, and finish the workout where you can have good fitness. Maybe you go in your wetsuit for your long swim uh, for half an hour to an hour. But if you do that for 10 days, an hour a day for 10 days, you get great benefits. If you want to go a little bit longer than 10 days, I wouldn't go more than three weeks. Two weeks is probably pretty hardcore. But then it's also important that you know the effects of that heat acclimation actually stay with you for a week, which means you don't have to do it all the way up until the day of the race because that's just going to add more fatigue. That that last week when you are tapering. I don't do any heat training the week of the race. You don't and now, need so to. So come race day, Sherry and I, we both want to know uh, what measures do I take on race day? I've practiced in heat. Mm. Um, wow, that came out wrong. <laughs> uh, so I practice it, hot weather training. Not that we're in heat, Sherry. Come on, come on, work with me here. Because we're supposed to perform like we practice. But is that true of heat practice? Yeah, the, you know, w once you get to the race, there are some things you can do. Obviously, there's, 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 uh, uh, you can dissipate the heat. Well, okay, so I'm going to get slightly technical. You can dissipate heat through conduction, through convection, or evaporation, or radiation. Those are the four ways that the human body radiate or get, dissipates heat. Evaporation is sweating. It's the most effective way. That's the way you want to have most of your heat take place is through evaporation. Um, conduction is when I, I touch another object and the heat is drawn into that object. That's going to be like putting ice in your hat or putting those ice in your hands. What about those sponges? Those sponges, that yeah. It? That's your conduction, right? Convection is when uh, you have... Uh, an airflow, um, dissipate the heat by moving it off you, that you have very little control over. On the bike, you have some convection because you're going fast and so you don't get as hot on the bike. But once you get yeah, to the run, a smoking 15 that's right. mile an hour yeah. average. Then you have radiation, which is just infrared. <laughs> infrared radiation is just the heat, dis Dude, you know, the nuclear power plant exactly. is shutting down right now. Yeah. So the, the evaporation mm -hmm. really only works if you're not in a humid environment. If you're in a humid environment, then evaporation is struggling to take place on your body and you have to rely on the conduction, which is the external methods. Ice is really the best way to do it. Uh, an ice slurry before the event can help, and you'd want to practice that in training. An ice slurry is like a slushy, but maybe without all the sugar, but you could create a, a, an actual like a, a slushy that's just made of ice. You drink that, that lowers your core body temperature before the race by quite a bit. And if you enter the race with a lower body core temperature, that will help. Mm. So I kind of sum all that up. The, the thing I tell Shay to do is pre-race, do the heat acclimation training. Before the race, consider an ice slurry. Good research cool. that shows that lowers your core body temperature. So I did something for rock I would I douse my body with aloe vera on those hot rock climbing days. Oh. And that uh, there's no science behind it that I know of, but it would it would drop my my core temperature or at least have the placebo effect of making me feel like I was cooler out there. So the ice slurry, try some aloe vera out there. I don't know. <laughs> recommended by uh, by local regional guy here. There we right? go. You know what though? And there's nothing wrong with doing what works. If you know something works for you, 
that's worked in training, let's do it in race. Just don't do anything that new in on race day. And, and all these steps, by the way, aren't going to solve the problem. It's only going to mitigate the problem. It's just going to make it less of an issue. No matter what, anyone is going to perform worse at 80 degrees than 70 degrees. There's just stuff that happens. Even in the most heat acclimated athlete, there's things happening in the body that, uh, that have to take the blood basically has to be used for cooling instead of delivering oxygen to the muscles. So everyone will perform worse in a warmer environment than a cool environment, uh, almost without exception. The trick is, can you mitigate it to have it be the least impactful possible, um, which I think that the heat um, acclimation, maybe the ice slurry, and then keeping yourself as cool as possible with sponges, ice, et cetera. And when you're racing in hell, just pray it freezes over, am I right? There we go. Okay. From Jason Benson, uh, icebreaker athlete for this weekend, uh, sent in a question. As a first-timer, what mistakes am I likely to make during the triathlon or tips during the race to help me get the first one in the books? I I thought about this one. I had access to this question for about a couple hours before you and I met, and I tried to think of three mistakes because three is a nice number. I really couldn't think of three main mistakes. There's really just two. As I've, I've trained so many athletes, there's two big mistakes. The first one is going to be doing something different on race day than you did in training. New equipment, new nutrition, new food. You don't you do not do your silver bullet on race day that you didn't do in training, right? It, it, you need to practice. If you're going to work with caffeine, for example, let's do the caffeine in training. Don't do it on race day and find yourself in the toilet for, you know, half of the bike. Um, if you're going to try a new piece of equipment, don't save it for race day. Let's, you know, use it in training. Race day should just be like another workout. It should be one where you, you've pretty much done it in training before. The intensity might be a little bit more. You're, you know, the pressure is always a little bit different. But in general, everything should be something you've you've done before. So- I totally made that mistake. My first <laughs> triathlon, I was so set on having a fast transition time, which you shouldn't for your first triathlon. But I was, I was going to be in and out that before the race, I... Uh, uh, tore off the top of a goo and I put that in my shoe. So I would see it before I'd put my running shoes on. I'd get off the bike, grab my running shoes, grab the goo, uh, shoes on and go. Right? I can see where this is headed. And I did not want to take the extra microsecond to tear <laughs> the goo cat top off. Nice. And when I come in off the bike, I can see that my shoes have been moved by somebody else who has come in before me. And in the process of them moving my shoes, the goo had tipped over and filled my shoe with goo. It just oozed out into my shoe. So I ran my first sprint triathlon with a shoe full of goo. And in fact, you're still wearing those shoes. They never came off, right? They, are, they just you know, stuck. If, I can see them on If here. I'm ever low energy right now, I just pull them off and take a little lick. Right. How about that? And at that moment, you said, you know what? Maybe race director is better for me. Race director is that... I can be smarter at this. All right. So first mistake, don't do anything new on race day. Second mistake is uh, just going out too hard on the bike. Everyone gets so, or even on the swim, it's just going out too hard. You get so excited. If you've done a proper taper, which we know what a taper means now, right? If you've done a proper taper, you should feel extremely powerful on race day. It should be the best you felt all year with the right taper. So you're going to go into that swim and you're going to start swimming. You're going to feel so good and so strong. You're going on the bike and feel so strong. And you just can't, you need to know where your your intensity is, whether it's by heart rate, which is sometimes difficult, or watts or speed, some way that you can really objectively measure your intensity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's there's plenty of research. There's one study that showed going out 100% on the swim, for example, in a sprint costs you a minute on the bike and the run, whereas going 90% on the Whoa, swim. Whoa, David, that sounds totally made up. I'm no, just going to say that right now. No, it's uh, really? going, going too hard in the swim. 100% swim 100% time me, um, trial, a minute a on minute the bike and run. That's right. On the bike, the minute 
between the bike and the run, the you lose run. a minute on the bike and the run because you've gone too hard too early. The consequences of going anaerobic too early are dire on the bike so and the run. So this should feel painfully slow. When I get out there, it, is that is that the wrong objective you know, measurement, as you, you say? You ask some people, and I, I ask some athletes, how do they race? And they say, I just go crazy. I go all out from the beginning. And I, I have no doubt that they do. In their mind, that's their version of all out. So if I'm not going to believe the research, I need to try this in practice. <laughs> I need to go out 100% on the swim and see what it looks like on my training course on the bike and the run. Uh, and then and then maybe ta- and then maybe hold back a little bit on the swim another day and see what it does you on You could, my bike. or you could do what I tell my kids is that you don't have to make all the mistakes, kids. You can just trust me sometimes. You know what I mean? You don't but have dad, to go out come and on, experiment dad. with yourself. Don't you trust me, Dad? Yeah. So you could do that. I would say I'm quite confident that uh, you don't want to go all out in the swim and you uh, don't want to go all out in the early parts of the bike. I mean, j- just know that the definition of all out, going anaerobic, your body can only go anaerobic for so long before it has to slow down and has to recover from that. And that takes more time than if you've never gone anaerobic in the first place. Okay. I have nothing else to say to you on all right. that. All right, moving on. Uh, Aaron, this is going to work. I'm going to ask you three questions. Each of these questions will have three multiple choice options. Oh, okay. Oh, oh dear. One I'm of gonna, them is going to be right. I'm going to have my uh, my race director uh, certification revoked right now. I don't think so. This has nothing to do with your knowledge of being a race director. <laughs> okay. If you get two out of three of these, you win. Oh, nice. If oh. you don't, you lose. And I like to win. That's the only consequence. I must win. All right. Ready for your first question? I'm ready. All right. According to the book, The Secret Race... The tell-all story of doping in the Tour de France from the point of view mm. of Lance Armstrong teammate Tyler Hamilton. Mm, nice. There was a code name for the illegal substance, substance EPO. Okay. Was it A, Kristen, named after Lance Armstrong's then-wife because it would not seem suspicious if he was asking for Kristen every single time he made a phone call? Wow. Was it B, Edgar, named after Edgar Allan Poe because it sounded like EPO? Mm. Or C, like was it Liberace? Named after the flamboyant performer because Lance figured the French would have no idea what he was talking about. Mm, interesting. Uh, so I've got uh, I've got Edgar, I've got Kristen, Kristen, and I've got Liberace. Liberace. Um, man, my gut's telling me Kristen makes the most sense. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe seems like something you would just make up for me to throw me off throw me off the trail. So that one's out for me. So I'm going Liberace or Kristen, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna settle in on. Man, I'm gonna go against my gut and say Liberace. It's a, it's a great guess. I'm afraid the answer is B, Edgar. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it! it ah! Named after Edgar Allan Poe because it sounded like EPO, from The Secret Race by Tyler Hamilton. All right, All right. I, got, I, I can get two okay. more. I can get got two, two more. more. All right, question number go. two. According to Scott Tinley who is a uh, triathlete historian and great athlete. The origin of triathlon is attributed to a French race during the 1920s and 1930s. Which of the following is not an English translation of one of the French variations of this event? So you're looking for which one of these, I'm gonna give you three descriptions that are translations from French to English. One of them is wrong, but two of them are right. You're gonna guess the wrong one. I want you to tell which one is not a a variation of the French translation. I can do that. I can get it um, wrong. Is the incorrect one A, the race hustlers, as translated from French? Okay. Is it B, jack of all trades races? Okay. Or is it C, wet cyclists who become dry from running? One of those is mm. not a term used in the early triathlon 
seen in France in the 1920s and 1930s. Okay, it's totally A and C. I'm going with the idiomatic expression does not translate. Jack of all trade races is incorrect. The other two are correct translations. All right, I'm afraid that the answer is C. Son of a gun. Wet cyclists who become dry from running. The act, the first two, the race hustlers or la course des touches à toutes is oh. what it was called. Okay. Jack of all trades race, la course des débrouillards. Is you also you don't speak French. Do actually, you? I took French one three years in a row, but just French one. You never advanced to French two. That is correct. All right, so you're over <laughs> two. You have some redemption oh, possible geez. left here. Uh, oh. With our third question, number three, triathlon darling and multi-world Ironman champ Chrissy Wellington did not participate in triathlon until much later in life. I've heard of her. That's right. She first began cycling at age 27. What job did she have when she first started cycling? Mm. Is it A, working on a sewage sanitation project in Nepal? Is it B, as a rickshaw cyclist transporting tourists in Australia? Okay. Or was it She's C, from Australia. part-time as the mascot of the University of Manchester, donning a Spartan costume at university athletic events? That seems highly specific. And before I, I continue, Chrissy's actually from England. Oh, Yes. Sorry, Chrissy. Yeah. You're See, not from Australia. But you know what? It seems like they're all from Australia. All the good ones, right? But she's, right? she's one of the Brits that came in. All right, so A, working as a sewage sanitation project in Nepal. B, as a rickshaw cyclist transporting tourists in Australia. Or C, part-time as the mascot of the University of Manchester donning a Spartan costume at university athletic events. Okay, so if she's from Manchester, that, that kind of seems like the, that makes sense because that's where her home's at. The least likely answer, the one I would say that she didn't do is the sanitation one in Nepal. However, because of the streak I've been on, I'm just going to go with that one. And you would be correct. Yes! Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Well done. One out of three is not bad considering these have really no relevance to anything that How you do. How did your listeners do. do on that? Were they were they guessing along? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I'm sure that, that we had a lot of over three in there. I, uh, I, I made these hard on purpose, but I thought they were kind of fun. Those were fun. All right. We're going to move on to our very, very specific local coverage. So if you are not a member of the USA Triathlon Rocky Mountain region, you may find this next part uneventful. Otherwise, if you are going to be uh, participating or ever want to participate in a race try event, this information is going to be Come on, quite relevant. Around. Exactly. You know you want to do it. I'd like to take a moment and put in some predictions, right? It's March Madness as we... As we record this particular episode, the uh, we're on to the round of 16 in the NCAA tournament, and I've Love done my it. bracket, and my bracket has been destroyed. So I've lost the billion already. Yeah, I just I can't believe it. So Who I'm didn't sign for, up for that, right? Yeah. A billion dollars. Come on. Exactly. Okay. So I want to uh, make myself inflate my ego a little bit by doing some predictions that I hope will come true so I can feel a little bit better about it. So instead yes. of guessing 64 matchups, I've only got a couple of matchups here. But on the men's side, very good talent coming here. In fact, we've got a, a group of very young athletes. We've got Carl Krell coming in from Wyoming. Uh, he's going to be driving out here to do this event. Cade yeah. Hunter and Griffin Conroy. These are all young men. of. They're Carl all, Krell's 15 years old. That's right. Uh, yeah. All of them are 22 or under. Yeah. Um, so this is the uh, the youth brigade that's going to come in and, and possibly could could sweep the podium, except for 
uh, Seb Ziesler. And Seb, I'm sorry if I'm slaughtering your last name. Is it Ziesler, Zessler? I'm not sure. But Seb Ziesler, very talented triathlete, has done extremely well at all distances. And uh, he's actually my pick. I, I'd say only because he's the old guy at 39 and I got to root for the the, uh, the older guys like me. Um, but I'm thinking uh, Seb's going to be right there, followed by Cade. Griffin and I think Carl just because the swim isn't very long and that's a good strength of his is is going to um, not be able to hold on the run like Seb and Griffin can run and Kate is apparently a much better runner right now too. Now now you hold the now you hold the course record on this on this event. We we've done the same course now. You have the fastest time, David. Do, do you remember what it is? I, I don't, but it's not in jeopardy. Not because I don't think Seb could beat me because he could. Only because the day that I did it, the conditions were perfect they were so, i remember that day it was they about 60 perfect. degrees and of course the the warmer the air the uh the less dense it is which means you can go faster on the bike so you know a, a 45 to 50 degree bike ride is is nice it's not too cold but it's quite dense air still you get into 60 degrees that air is going to be you know expanding and it's a lot easier to slice through so i anticipate that uh the temperature is going to keep my record safe and, and i think seb's going to take it okay but it's going to be 30 seconds to a minute off the course record just because of the weather because of the weather well yeah. i've and i've got it I've got his own prediction in here. Uh, the race director, we get privy to you. If when I remember you, right, when the, you register. The, the record is 53.50, I want to say. 53.50. So 53.50, he put his expected finish time at 52 flat. Whoa. All so, right. Okay. So, so he may be biting off a little more than you can I don't know this guy. <laughs> He's good. Zed, maybe you and I have met, and, <laughs> and you're, you're going to slap me when you see me next for, uh, listen, I... Dude, I, I, I want to see it challenged, but uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see what the weather and how that plays into it. But you heard it. 53.50 is the time to beat. Good luck, brother. 52 is going to be tough, but he, he could do it. He's quite talented. On the women's side, we have uh, last year's champion. And I, I, I should make a note, too, that for the first time in six years, none of the men from the podium are returning. So for the first time in six years, we don't have someone that took in the first three coming wow. back for the race. Wow, I did not do that kind of research I, there, I did David. that. On the women's side, though, we do have Christy Crompel coming back. She did an unbelievable job on the race last year. Uh, Amanda Meredith Dunlop um, as well, who's always a powerhouse. I'm such a biased fan of Amanda Meredith Dunlop. I went to high school with this oh, girl. Yeah. She still holds all the swim records at Olympus High School. Uh, she went on to swim for University of Utah as a collegiate swimmer. Uh, she says that her training partner is a Labrador Siberian Husky mixed puppy named Jax. How is that? That's How is a that? secret weapon. Who do, who do you train with? She trains with a a, a wolf. That's a freaking wolf she trains with. <laughs> she probably runs away from it. Oh she my gosh. drags some meat behind That's her so and chases cool. her down. And then we also have uh, Kobe Scott. I'm not familiar with Kobe. You know Kobe Scott, young female triathlete. Kobe, uh, 15 this year. She competes nationally in her age group, uh, trains with her um, Ironman dad and just... Uh, not only rocks her age group, but when she does these regional events, uh, she's contending for for overall placing, and and I expect to I, I expect nothing less at uh, at this event right. here. Well, with the short swim, I think uh, on any other event, I'd put Amanda Meredith Dunlop as the top, but with this 300 meter swim, it's just not it's, enough time for her to get ahead. Her. So yeah. the short swim, we're going with uh, with I think Christy and Kobe and Amanda, uh, probably something in that order is is my prediction. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Okay, let's move on. Now we've done some predictions. I, uh, oh, I, I want to give a quick shout-out to Russ Southwick. I'm sorry on the men's side. I think he's going to round out in the top five. 
Russ is great. He is super fast in transition. We love Russ. We Go do. get your Southwick on. That's right. Okay, uh, now tell me about some of your highlights from the announcer feed. So the announcer feed is when people register, they can they can put in information about themselves. They want red as they cross the finish line. Uh, this is a feed that sometimes works for us. Sometimes it doesn't. Athletes, uh, when it has worked, they really don't they don't hear it. It's it's a really loud environment. Uh, so we've moved away from it, but we've still kept the announcer feed in the registration. Uh, in the registration, because we learn so much about <laughs> you, it's crazy. Right, give me your top uh, announcer feeds. So Scott Walters used to weigh three hundred over three hundred pounds. Race tries helped me drop the weight. So well done. Props to this guy who's found something that works for him. It's triathlon. You gotta you gotta love to see that. Good job. That's inspirational. Um, Tasker Griffin, nine years old is racing the icebreaker for the third time. He started when he was six and holds the record for the youngest triathlete to ever complete this course until this year. His younger brother (laughs) is going to best him by just a few months by by coming in and and showing him how it's done. What a great family. Uh, Daniel Thomas, two-time Iraq war veteran, enhancing uh, veteran lives through physical activity. Big inspiration. We we love our vets coming out and uh, and representing. I I don't know if uh, this woman's husband would listen to this podcast, but I say we don't give the name. I think we should just say there is a participant. <laughs> there will be an announcement made, and I'm thinking we're gonna make it pre-race where she wrote, "Oh, I just finished my first triathlon. I might have been the last one to cross, but I finished. Oh, and I'm pregnant. Surprise, hon." <laughs> So as far as you know, the husband will be finding out on race day. As far as I, and I put in a phone call to her today to find out if this was true. Her husband answers <laughs> and I'm going, oh crap. No, no, no. This was, this was her number. You weren't supposed to answer, dude. Oh, dang it. So I, I just said, oh, well, I'm just the race director. Just calling. I'm I'll, calling I'll all call my racers. I told him I'm calling all my racers to see if they have any questions. Do you have any questions for the weekend? And he goes, as a matter of fact, I do. He had some question about parking. I don't know. So I uh, just gave him some answer to his question. And I go, okay, well, thank you. Oh, and uh, just to make sure that I have our registration records, right, it, right it, this is the number for you. But I had it listed under your wife's name. Does your wife have a number that should be listed on her? He gave me her number. Love him, the dope. And uh, and I, I I left a message and sent her a text to see if I could confirm that he, in fact, does not know this. So so we can make the surprise in front of everybody on yeah. race day. I could see how you really just couldn't call up, talk to the husband and see, I'm calling to see if your wife is pregnant. I really need to know. <laughs> I need to know so that <laughs> yeah, you could yeah, be surprised, yeah, exactly. right? Dude, I almost yeah. blew the, the lid off the top right. of that. One last thing, and that is Chuck and Deb, some of my favorite tri- local triathletes. They uh, They live up in the avenues in Salt Lake City. And which is, uh, what is that? About 40 miles? Uh, at least, yeah. I, I, I think conservative, it's it's 40 miles as the bike rides down to our event. Uh, they're leaving their house at 6.30 a.m. We've got a 10 o'clock start, so they can do this. And they are biking from the avenues in Salt Lake down to uh, the American Fork Rec Center. They will put on their game faces, do the race, and then bike the 40 miles home. Now, they have invited wow. anybody who lives along their path to join them. Uh, if you want to hook up with Chuck and Deb and ride down your bike with them and do the Super Breaker, uh, you can uh, connect with them at 
www.debventuresmultisport.com. That's www.debventuresmultisport.com. Excellent. Aaron, thank you so much for being with us today. With hey, us it's been, today. hey, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks for being with me. I say us in the royal we, you know, in the <laughs> plural sense. Thank you for being with, with me today. It's thank been you, a pleasure. Capitano, I'd like yes. to do it again for another event. You've got uh, five more coming up this summer, right? Yeah. All the way from now until uh, September, right? Racetry.com for people to check out what else is available to them anywhere in the uh, Intermountain West. Absolutely. You know, we're not uh, we're not the big shop. We're not Iron Man. We're the mom and pa shop. We have a lot of fun. We put on great events and pride ourselves in uh, putting on safe, fun events. You come on out and we'll make a believer out of it. And you. I can confirm that. I really enjoy your events and you do a very good job. Thanks again, Thank Aaron. Thank you. Thanks. That's all from this episode. I hope you enjoyed today's version of Try Small Talk. We won't do this every time, but a few times a year. Look for another chapter of Triathlon Science to be read for episode 80. I'll see you next time. Mm